Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to the legend that is Guy Kesteven. Now, if you've ever read MBUK and read any of the reviews on bikes, components, on any of that, there's a very, very, very high chance you've read one of Guy's reviews. He's ridden thousands of bikes. He's been a pro bike tester for magazines like MBUK since 1997, and he's been in the mountain biking industry since 1980. So... As you'd imagine in this episode, we, we just go into tons of detail about what makes a great bike great, all about guys sort of experiences riding bikes and testing bikes, how important bike setup is, um, and just loads of stuff really. You, you can tell guys are super passionate and excited guy, and it really comes through on the podcast, so he was a great guy to chat to and a great guy to learn from really. Um, the internet on guys end I think isn't the best, so there's a few times where it's a bit crackly, um, but just make the effort to figure out what he said when you can't really tell it's all obvious but you'll just notice it's a bit crackly at points and um, but it's well worth sticking with it and trying to and and making the effort to make sure you can hear what me or guy have said because the nuggets that come through and the knowledge is really really going to help you on the bike uh, so other than that please do take a moment to like and um, to to like it can't like a podcast <laughs> uh, to subscribe to the podcast and to give it a rating and if you're on instagram i'd really appreciate it if you just posted it up on instagram tagged me in your story uh, anyone that tags me in the instagram story when you're listening to it i'll almost definitely share it on my story and um, but yeah i hope you really really enjoy it guys a fascinating guy and I'll see you on the other side. Hey podcast, today I'm speaking to Guy Kes. Stephen, I actually used to read mountain bike magazines as a teenager and I would read reviews from Guy all the time, so it's really cool having him on the podcast today. Uh, Guy's been in the industry since 1980 and has been a pro bike tester for UK magazines like MBUK since 1997. That means he's ridden and reviewed literally thousands of bikes and components. He also now has his YouTube channel, Guy Kez TV, where he reviews bikes on video. He's head of bike for the Yorkshire Cycle Expo and he's, all, and he's also the author of the book 1001 Bicycles to dream of riding so thanks so much for coming on mate right you, you have done your research so i've been on it me yeah i mean uh, 1989 i got my first bike shop job 1989 it was i was only, I was only nine i was still i was riding a bike but right i wasn't working <laughs> in the industry in 1980 it's been a while for, i've been around for a while this guy <laughs> <laughs> i'll take that i'll take that if that's the only mistake in that paragraph i'll take it <laughs> mate, i'm impressed <laughs> we were just saying then where we've just been out for a ride for a quick hour in the rain yeah yeah like just to sign off on a friday after the dog needed to go out more than me to be honest but yeah right. we've, we've got a trail spaniel who just yeah she was looking at me i've not supposed all week that's the great thing with having a dog isn't it we don't have a dog because my girlfriend hates them terrified of them so it's something that will never really happen she's a cat person but if you've got a dog you don't have a choice but to get out and walk it or ride it do you oh it was nothing you know, with respect to some of the great coaches and people I've worked with, nothing has improved my fitness more than Tilly. Just because <laughs> I used to go out for like, you know, you'd, you'd have a fork or something to test and you spend like half an hour getting ready. You'd ride, you'd ride down the, you know, you'd ride down to the trails, going down, up and down these steps that you needed to test it on a few times. And then you'd just go, well, I've done what I need to do. I'll, I'll ride back now. Because you think, oh, it's about half past two and, and I'll work till five. And then, 
you know, I was, I was flat out. There was no way we had room for a dog in our lives. And then we got this spaniel, Tilly, rescue spaniel. She's a, you know, Sprocker cock, uh, Springer Cocker mix. Proper. She's rally spec, basically. There's yeah. nothing going on in her head apart from traction control and a lot <laughs> of and big mud flaps for ears. She's just, she's proper, you know, there's no radio in there. There's no air con. There's <laughs> just like the run. Just a five-point harness and a roll cage. That's what that dog got. <laughs> and you're doing the same ride. And, he, and she'd ride down the steps a few times. And she'd just be looking at you going, are you serious? <laughs> there's like an hour and a half riding down here. And you know damn well, if you go back, if you go back, you'll get kettle on. And then it'll be three o'clock. Is that you, Bingy, or me? No, I think it might be you. I was just looking at my thing. Yeah, I think it's you. Siri <laughs> so wants to get in on the action. Probably, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'd be there at the bottom of the steps, you know, ready to go home. And she'd go, come on. If you go home now, you put the kettle on. It'll be three o'clock. Then the kids will come up at half past three. They'll get you doing something. You're not going to get any work done. Just there's an hour and a half a single track down here. Let's just go bloody ride it. <laughs> it's like, well, all right then. Yeah. And like you say, days like today, you're like, dog needs to go out. Yeah. You know, Christmas day, dog needs to go out. Boxing day, dog needs to go out. All those days that weren't on the riding agenda. Suddenly you're doing everyone a favour by taking the dog out and going home. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a hard life having to go ride the bike. Exactly. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll take one for the family. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, you are a hero. I mean, no, they've never said you are a hero, Dad, but they know that both me and the dog are wired very similar. So yeah, yeah. Feed, exercise, sleep, good. Yeah. My mate's... Um, in the meat. My, my, yeah, <laughs> my mate's missus has got a sheep dog, and that comes out with us every now and again, and um, whenever it can, and it'll just run and run and run and run. You can be bombing it down a descent at like twenty-five mile an hour, look behind you, and it's there keeping up, and it'll just run itself into the ground. It's got to like when it gets to about fifteen miles, we have to kind of chill out then, and then like slowly like get back home. But it's it's so much fun riding with dogs. It adds a bit of an extra layer, doesn't it? When you like glimpse it out the corner of your eye, running by your side. Yeah, oh, Tilly knows all the enduro lines around Stainburn and everywhere else. But you have got to be careful with them, like hot weather. And if they've not run for a yeah. bit, be careful with their paws. And they've got to be, you know, a, few, a couple of years old when they're properly mature before they start. Otherwise, you wear out the bearings. Yeah. And, yeah, they don't last, <laughs> you know, people start them too young. And so, yeah. And also, you know, it's not a pro. You know, I wouldn't go to a busy trail centre because she has startled people. When she was young and she was proper flat out, we used to have a, like a falcon bell on her. Okay. It suddenly burst out the undergrowth, just pulling, <laughs> like, you know, young families or something, or just other riders, like, what the hell? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Black thing comes out about Mac 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're quite lucky where we are because we're like just on the very edge of the peak district, but we're almost like we get the trails that are similar to the proper peaks, but there's barely any of the any of the crowd. So you can go on a ride for two hours and you'll see three or four people. So it's ideal for a dog really because they can just she can just run as much as she wants and then she's good. So you're currently doing a lot of your uh, training with your daughter as well, aren't you? Is that right? I know we spoke a bit over email. Yeah. Yeah, my, my daughter's uh, an up-and-coming sprinter. I mean, she's only 14, but she's already matching me on the kettlebells. Right. She's, uh, yeah, we do we do a couple of kettlebell classes. Well, I she does a couple a week. I do one a week. So I'm just in that perfect window of suffering every time I do it, but not doing it frequently enough to really improve. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been really good, just for things like proprioception. And I've got, a, you know, I've got a broken knee on my right knee. And I was like, yeah. oh, no squats, can't do that anymore, can't do this. And actually, gradually working back into it, the balance is so much better. I mean, power and everything is 
coming up. When I can walk again, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. So what sort of training have you been doing then? Obviously, you said kettlebell training. What sort of things have you been doing? Oh, it's just, you know, it's it's your classic sort of kettlebell routines. But because it's it's for an athletics club, a lot of it's been sprinting. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's squats, it's uh, thrusters, squat thrusts, core work, a lot of that. You know, and I think I like, I have to say, I really, really like kettlebells. I've had, I've had big sessions where I've been a bit of a gym rat and it's never gone well for me. It's just, I've never been over 11 stone. I've tried everything, you know, eggs, tuna, protein powders, the works, never gone over 70K. Yeah. The thing is, you burn so many calories on a daily basis, don't you, that you'd have to eat an absolute ton. Yeah, well, I did. I used to, I, I mean, I used to be an archaeologist. And, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, used to shovel for a living. Right. And it got to the point where I'd shovel from like, you know, eight while four. And it was, you know, it's not your time team brush and trowel stuff. It's proper pickaxe and shovel. This was commercial archaeology. You know, this is, this is digging where they, you know, digging holes in Doncaster where they want to put a multi-story car park. And right. And cattle market. So you're basically going through like six meters of bovril in the rain nice. from, November, <laughs> from November to April. It was, you know, it's proper trench warfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. But the trouble is I got kind of a, Got used to that, so I'd then start training on the night as well. And because I still want to do my cycling, and then you know, it goes, and you're like, Oh, well, maybe I'll do some swimming as well. Maybe I should do some swimming. I was eating <laughs> 7,000 calories a day <laughs> and just staying there exact same weight. Yeah, I just went, and it's funny now because it's, it's hilarious. The joys of Facebook, you look back, and I thought I was pretty hench back then. You know, you thought, Well, all that manual labor, I must have been, you know, I was proper, I must have looked like. You know, a fair old unit. <laughs> and then literally that does that, oh, look, here's a flashback thing on Facebook. <laughs> and there's a shot of me in these, just this horrible little hollowed out corpse in uh, in uh, in these big old baggy shorts. And it's just like, it just looks like Auschwitz had a football team. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't good. It's like a floppy Mohican on top. It's just like, oh, dear. Right. So you've always been that size. It's not, it's not that you were, you know, it's not that you've lost it. You just never had it. You, you yeah. were just you were just delusional <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing is it's hard for it's a funny one for for mountain bikes especially to try and put on weight because well when i was how old i've been about 18 19 i was a really skinny kid i was about 65 kilos and i was like right i'm gonna put on muscle and i literally just lifted weight six days a week but that was it it was weight training i didn't really do much cardio didn't ride bikes at the time um so then i, I like piled the food in i was only four or five thousand calories a day but i wasn't burning as many calories so i put the weight on like i wouldn't say easily i had to graft to put it on but it steadily went on i ended up going up from about 65 to 80 but when you are doing so much cardio whether that's like you or you're digging or you're riding it's hard to eat enough food to put on muscle without just burning the calories straight off again yeah and also i've got a really adaptive physiology so yeah if i do you know if i i mean i dug up the patio out the garden when we moved into the house and i went like a balloon dog because i was just pickaxing and shoveling for about two or three weeks you know yeah. and i had biceps and triceps and all that again and then you know two weeks later you know oh i haven't got abs anymore it's just my spine showing through from the back it just all <laughs> it just all falls off <laughs> uh, yeah kind of gave up i mean when, when my wife met me when we were first going out i was i i, I went through a bit of a rough i was going through a bit of a, a man patch where it's like jim was the only salvation she had to ban me from going because i was going three <laughs> times a day <laughs> it sounds like you've got and definitely not in a negative way but you've got like a quite an addictive personality by the sound of it haven't you like if you're going to do something you're going all in 
oh, if I didn't have exercise, I would be a right state. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I can't drink. I have about half a glass of beer. Like okay. proper, like one of them little miniature French stubbies of the cheapest stuff from the supermarket. That's yeah. knocked me out all night. I've just, I just don't have the enzyme to yeah. process it. So, yeah, so, you know, that's... And uh, I kind of... In archaeology, there were some interesting substance users who were just like, yeah, all right, you you do that. You know, I knew lads who were breaking into animal labs to just to get the ketamine. And then <laughs> getting so smashed, they'd forget to release the animals when they were, and they'd have to break back in going, oh, shit, they forgot to release any animals. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I have. I've got a... Yeah, I've got a very, I guess, an, an addictive, fairly driven... Uh, tuning setup i guess so you yeah. know what though i think you can use that for for positive can't you it's just kind of get that balance but you can if you're you better being hooked on something like training or an exercise and throwing yourself into something like that i think it can be used for positive as well as obviously negative if it goes the wrong way oh absolutely but i've got to be aware of it you know even i know if i do a lot of interval training i become a right ass yeah you know, I, it does affect my aggression levels you know it's it's not it's not nice for me to train hard in with a lot of sort of structured interval training with a young family that, that, that didn't work well, you know, I know, no, because I just, you just start craving that real sort of real hard release. And, uh, and my wife's great. Sarah's absolutely superb. She'll just look at me prowling around the house and just go, go on out. out. <laughs> She'd look at me and the dog and go, come on, you need to go out. Come on. <laughs> And then other times, she, you know, she knows I'm prowling around the house, but I'm so knackered, I don't know what to do. I know what I'm kind of like, I want to do something. But I've like got my swimming goggles in one hand, one running shoe on, but I'm looking for my mountain bike helmet. She's just like, yeah. I don't what to do. You're too bloody knackered. <laughs> do you find that you do factor in recovery quite a bit? I know you send an email that you don't sleep very much, do you? No, no. Joyce is freelance. I probably average about five hours. Yeah. So kind of yo-yo between four and six uh i was asleep but i always have i've always done that and i seem to run well on it yeah uh, i try i try and have a couple of recovery days a week it's like wednesday was a recovery day uh, just because i'd smash myself on monday yeah and then smash myself again on tuesday so yeah wednesday was a recovery day and that so it ended up being you know Thursday was one as well, and then try. the trouble is, he's just fitting it in. Yeah, it's, especially with your job. Yeah, because there's always something just getting in the way of going yeah. out. You know, it's like there's because I don't really have my own bike. I'm always like, oh, well, if I'm going out, and I have to maximise the kind of gain in terms of work from every ride. So it's like this afternoon, I was like, right, I'm ready to go. Oh no, hang on, I had a call with with for the cycle show with Chevin. And then I was like, right, I'll go now. And I was like, oh, no, I could fit that coil shock. I really ought to fit that coil shock. Or, right, no, uh, or I'll, I'll put the shock wheels on. I found the shock wheels again. I really need to do the forks. It's just like I'm kind of justifying going out in my head. And then suddenly it's like, oh, bloody hell, I've only got like an hour now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been trying to, get the, uh, trying to get it set. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You... It's, so it's just a case of generally once I'm out, just go hard. And I'm lucky, I, you know, the lads are riding. Ryan, who I was riding with today, is a savage. He's proper, you know, he's got, he's a really good classy rider with really good physiology. You know, he, he's just naturally fast. Yeah. Whereas I just brute force and ignorance it generally. 
<laughs> smash through everything. Yeah, because that that used to be the joke. It's like Steve uh, Steve Warland, who brilliant bike tester. I learned tons off. Absolute mentor. He was you know one of the guys who pretty much defined bike testing, and he died from a heart attack unfortunately a few oh. years. But the joke people used to say it was just like Steve rode like a ghost. But I rode like a poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be gliding through, and then you could barricade him behind. Yeah, <laughs> cannonball. Yeah. The, the, the few times I thought he's gone the wrong, he's got the wrong line. I'll get it. <laughs> and, and you'd swing, you cut inside, and just go. Oh no, he just saw the tree between the two trees that I've just put myself. Yeah. <laughs> so when when you are testing bikes is it just a matter of going out and riding and then you get a feel for it or is it like a set process where you're thinking right how does this feel how does this feel because obviously the vast majority of people listening to this and me have never ever tested a bike we go out and ride and kind of see how it feels but do you have like do you have like a set criteria that you're trying to pay attention to or is it just you ride and you've just done it so many times that you're you having a sort of a, a feeling of what's right what's not it's an algorithm. It's 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 because I had to do. I was describing it to someone else uh, recently because I think they were quite shocked about how quickly you can test a bike. But okay. it, the best way to the best analogy for it is is if you think of wine tasters who always like have a swig of wine and then rinse it and then spit it out. Okay, yeah. Oh, why would you do that? Totally get that because if you drink the whole bottle of wine, you're just going to go. Oh, this is very nice this evening. <laughs> that was lovely. Yeah, it was red and it had. A, <laughs> had a label on and if i just went out and rode a bike all day or rode it for a week or a month or anything i'd just go yeah well it was sunny (laughs) literally that first spit and rinse it's those first you know it's those first five ten minutes where you're going right adjust that so it's 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 very much an industrial process is testing but certainly when i've tested as many as i but it's just you know you just yeah you i mean obviously i've got trails i ride all the time and so you know how a bike should feel between that but generally, yeah. you probably have ridden that tyre before. Well, in my case, I will have done those rims, that fork. You'll know what a 40mm stem should feel like and a, that width bar. And so there's a lot of it is already in place. So you're trying to, you're basically looking for the oddities. You're looking for the bits that don't quite fit the profile. Got yeah. And you can tend, generally pick up that within like the first five, ten minutes of riding a bike. If you've got to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best way to do it is just have four bikes, same tyre pressure. I mean, you take out all the kind of variables you can. So if they've all got the same fork or a similar fork, you know, I've got the experience to go, right, that's that much pressure in that one, that many clicks of rebound, that one yeah. in that one, that one in that one. So they're all levelled off, all the tyres at the same pressures. I mean, some guys, t- I mean, they know MBR normally take all the tyres off them and just put a, like a set of matches on as their context. Okay. And that's their way of doing it. But I always think, well... Not everyone's going to do that. Yes, somebody. If you're buying a Yeti, it doesn't really matter what the tire. You, you know, you're not going to go this Yeti only gets three out of five because I don't like the back tire. Yeah. But on the bike that costs like four hundred quid, having to buy a fifty quid tire for it, even a thirty quid tire, that's like a significant part of the process. Yeah, yeah that's very so, true. And also, if somebody's bothered to spend the money on good tires and that brand hasn't, then you're kind of penalising the guys who've gone. Okay, I'll take a hit on the rear Meg but I'm going to put proper tyres on. Yeah. So, but otherwise, yeah, you just, you know, so I know what, depending on the size of the tyre, I'll go, right, okay, it's, you know, 23 PSI front, 25 rear, or it's 20 front, 22 rear. 
and they'll all level off at that and the sag and everything is the same but just jump if you can get two or three people together and just jump between them the difference is amazing if someone did it if you did it i mean people can do this go to a demo day yeah you know never go to a demo day on your own always take a mate and just get mate a mate to ride and ideally take your own bike and then just swap between them literally just go back and session each bit you know just go backwards and forwards over the same bit i mean you can have you can do really good bike testing with a ladder you know one of the best small bump test pieces of equipment is a ladder just throw it on the ground just ride along it okay yeah that's a good idea just literally just hit it and ride across that and you there's loads of different you know and there's certain like i've even done daft stuff like for handlebar resonance just put them in the rungs of the step ladder just you know literally have them all sort of in front of you and you just press each one and you can feel it you know you can feel that different resonance okay and got you, you and those notes and then you take it out in the trail and go oh, okay yeah that, that transfers across or no that's bollocks you know yeah. you're, you're testing something that's relevant because you know a lot of the german magazines do you know line things up with lab testing and stuff like that but it's a real mix i mean some things are tangible and measurable like uh i mean it used to be great on forks i used to have an old pendle bike rack uh, like a through axle clamp off a roof rack bolted to the wall of my workshop and the fork and slot so you'd sit put the fit the fork in horizontally uh put a headset press under this under the sort of crown so the fork was sort of flat on its back and then to put a bar and stem on the top yeah really big old downhill bar and stem bar end on the end just to stop a weight plate sliding off and put 35k on the end of the bar and you'd measure the, you'd do it about two or three times, and you'd measure the deflection between unloaded and loaded. Okay, got you. That would give you a really good uh, idea of how much the fork was twisting. And when everything had 32 mil legs, it was great. You got a real deflection, you know, Sid or Duke or whatever, or even, you know, even like Mizuki 55, stuff like that. There was a real progression. And then Pike came along with a 20 mil axle, you're like, ooh, that's stiff. <laughs> <laughs> And then everything went to 35 mil legs, and it was just like, actually, I'm probably measuring more the rig bending. You know, it suddenly went from like being, you know, a difference of 30 mil across the forks to being like three or four, and you're just like, right, that's, okay. That, that's well within the kind of tolerance of me, just, you know, the weight being slightly different or my tape measure not being quite on the same point on the floor. So you can't really call it anymore. So is but, that at the point where you'd say it is now then when they're all just kind of so good that it's a small difference between them rather than like masses of movement? Yeah. Yeah, I mean there are some there are some outliers where you just go, Yeah, no, that's that's but they tend to be the more radical designs like the upside down forks, things like that. You know, yeah. that's that's where you'll find real variance thrust fork coming, that's gonna be interesting. That'll be an interesting one to test. Yeah, have but you then, ridden that one yet? No, I've not. No, but I've got one in. I've got one coming in. Uh, the new UK distributor is going to be announced this week, and they're sending me one. So really keen to try that one. But then again, there are other ways you can measure stuff now as well, which is, uh, you know, I mean, Strava is always quite interesting. That's quite illuminating. It's never as, you know, I always back it up with stock on the handlebars as well. Yeah. But you know, there are bikes that feel quite slow, but actually go really bloody quickly. 
Yeah, I suppose that's a bit that, similar to uh, sitting on the autobahn. We went, we just went over to uh, Germany and we hired a um, what is it, a little one litre Corsa, and I got it up to ninety mile an hour, and I felt like the whole thing was going to collapse. <laughs> like the, the like the steering wheel was shaking. Like he was like every time a lorry passed us, or we pass a lorry, sorry, like it would shake. And then if you were to jump in like a big cruiser, you could sit at ninety mile an hour and feel like you just sat on the sofa. So yeah. would you say that that's similar for bikes then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, completely. I mean, there's different characters all the way through, you know, some bikes. And it depends, you know, and and your job as a reviewer is to kind of match those bikes to, the, to well, ma- to describe the feel of the bike to the people who, you know, so people can go, mm, I don't really like that. I mean, the classic one, one of the videos I've done is like uh, the new Santa Cruz 5010 and the Bronson. Yeah, you know, quite similar. And someone was asking, so which should I get? I don't know which to get. I don't should we get? And I was like, right, you've got a slight technical climb in front of you, and then quite a long, rocky, like full-on descent afterwards. Do you sprint at the climb, try and take as much air as you can off the top of it, and just pile into the descent and just hang on for dear life and just go, this is absolutely nuts. This is great. Or do you cruise up the climb, roll over the top, and then totally own the descent? And he was like, I'll probably do the former. I was like, right, 50-10 then. Right, okay. More, you know, it's a more visceral bike. It's the the way the suspension is more kind of, there's more kickback in the suspension, essentially. So it doesn't anesthetize the trail as much. But yeah. when you're putting inputs into it, you're getting more back from each of those inputs, if you see what I mean. I do, Whereas yeah. It's just crazy smooth, loads of traction, you know, it's arguably this Brompton's the better technical climber because it's just so smooth and so well connected. It just, I mean, I've climbed stuff on that thing on Ilkley Mar that's just obscene. But with it, and it's just like, you know, one of those bikes where you're just going, will you please stop little sod? And I've got a, <laughs> a 150 mil bike that's going to be announced at the end of the, this month. And it, it weighs a bloody ton. I mean, it's an absolute bargain. Uh, I can't really give, in case people follow me on uh, Instagram, can't give too much away because they'll know what it is. Yeah. So, but they're allowed to know. They know what it is, and people know it's coming. But uh, not yeah. officially. Not officially. Yeah. They don't <laughs> give you too much away. There's a certain amount of angles I can take in Instagram, but that looks <laughs> like a beast. You know, get it up stuff. But today I was on it, and it was just like, and you get into just a long picture. It's like, yeah, this really does weigh as much as that. Whereas, you know, obviously, and, it, you know, and that's, that's kind of your job is, well, my job as a reviewer is to kind of try and bring that character alive. And to be honest, that's a lot, it's a hell of a lot easier on video. That's why I like doing video now. Yeah. Just, you're rattling on while you're rattling over stuff. Yeah, so it's as you're actually thinking it, isn't it? I've noticed that with the videos. Yeah, none of it is scripted. It is purely what's coming out of me, Bob, at that time. I suppose one thing that you've said kind of in the past couple of minutes there is that it's all about finding the bike for the person, isn't it? And finding exactly what you need it for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it really is like so, so personal, isn't it? Like it depends on the type of riding you're doing. I quite like, I've got a uh, Yeti SB6T and I quite like the fact that it'll save my skin. On, like I'm nowhere near fast enough to be t- and t- doing big enough drops and big enough downhills and that kind of thing to really use the full potential of the bike but I do like having that safety barrier so the, the odd, li- odd time where I'll take a bad line, hit a rock and I'm like oh god this is it, I'll be off, I had an orange 5 before, 26 inch wheels and you'll hit something like that that would 
have thrown me off the side and it'll just soak it up and go through it and I quite like having that safety buffer but then there's also an argument that if I was out on a 140 mil travel bike doing the kind of riding I do you might enjoy it more because you can't make the same mistakes if that makes sense so I suppose and you'll have a really good insight on this it's about finding the right bike for the right person isn't it yeah absolutely no I mean classic example you see because I on a big travel bike I'm just a disappointment (laughs) I just feel like like I'm letting the bike down (laughs) I don't I don't do massive jumps I drops and I've actually got really bad vertigo so if I go to the Alps and stuff just that speed rush absolutely craps me up and I freeze and then things go really badly really really quickly yeah so I mean like I took a one, I think we took a Cannondale Jekyll. We did some videos last year out in the Alps. Took a Cannondale Jekyll out there, which is 160mm gravel. Super smooth, lovely bike. I mean, great bike. Slack angles, everything. Also took a Santa Cruz Tallboy, but took it with plus tyres and put super uh, super gravity uh, 2.8s on it, uh, Schwab Magic Marys, and ran them at 12 PSI. And it's only got 116mm travel at the back end. And 120mm fork on it. It was brilliant because I, <laughs> it felt like me and it were on the edge. Yeah, we kind of like it together. And whereas on the whereas on the Jekyll, I knew it could go faster. It was just a case of if you just stop holding on to the brakes, we could actually be doing a lot better here. Sunshine. Yeah, got you. <laughs> just like, but again, you know that again, that's a taste thing. And yeah, oh, that, yeah. There's a whole category of bikes now, like 120, 130 mil bikes with really aggressive kind of tight ride feel and because everybody wants a tough tire and a dropper post and a wide bar and fairly chunky you know and strength because there's less suspension travel those 130 mil 120 mil bikes aren't any lighter than the longer travel bikes so you're yeah. thinking well, why do I just get the longer travel bike but i know a load of people who go for that shorter travel bike just for that kind of more sharpened up, more intense feel, and just and also they tend to be a bit easier to set up because there's not as much suspension travel, and they yeah. don't they don't change pitch when you break in, you know, because the fork can't dive as much because there's not as much fork travel. They don't sort of change shape as much, so they are a bit steadier in that way. And also, for the riding most people do, you know, a modern 120 mil bike is ridiculously capable. But yeah. on the other hand, why not ride a 160 if you can? And like you say, if you suddenly go, oh crap, I've just launched myself. Yeah, it will save you much better than a bike that just goes thunk. Yeah, exactly. And I quite like I'm similar to yourself, really. I'm always driven by progression and always wanting to get better. And I like the feeling that the bike will always be able to do more than what I can do, if that makes sense. So I know that I'm never going to reach its limits, which is confidence inspiring for me. Like I'm probably more, I'm definitely not the type of person that will throw himself off a six foot drop. Like I'll have to like build myself up to stuff and gradually build up for the steeper descents and the drops and that kind of thing. And it gives me more confidence in my abilities when I know the bike can handle it. But then likewise, like you've just said yourself, some people might not like the feeling that they're nowhere near the bike's limits. So it is all about, all about the person yeah and then and then you can at each level of the bike you can backstep that so you can go right how do you like it to feel through the through your feet it's like do you that you're not even thinking about how the back wheel is tracking or do you want a bike that kind of stands up slightly when you put the power down so you've got that real drive feel but then you have to kind of sort of feather the power as you're going over steps or rocks or something like that yeah. or, or you know 
So that immediately sort of, right, you won't like these bikes, but you might like these bikes. You know, if you like a more neutral bike, you'll like a Specialized, like a four bar, you'll like an Evil, you know. If you want something a bit more bite in the pedaling, you'll like a Santa Cruz, you'll like a Yeti. Well, there's just that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's just anti-squat, you know. It's, it's, it's your numbers that are built into how much chain growth there is as the wheel swings away from you. Got and you. then, you know, do you want a bike that kind of sits in its mid-travel, that feels quite tight and racy? Like the new Yeti SB150, very, very firm sort of racer tune. And that can, that can feel like it can knock you about. Or you can have something that feels almost bottomless. Or you can have something that takes both extremes. So it has loads of pedal growth, but there's so much travel. It's also weirdly bottomless, which is the polygon I tested recently. Uh, you know, which is, you know, so there's in the middle, there's a huge mass of bikes that are very, very similar. But then you go, okay, so do you like a long bike? Do you like a slack bike? Do you like a long bike that's not that slack? You know, do you like somewhere to put your sandwiches in the frame? You know, there's loads of different things. And, and generally, what it comes down to is colour. <laughs> if we're brutally honest i know. can definitely vouch for that i can definitely yeah. mine's uh bright turquoise with orange forks and orange decals <laughs> you've always wanted if you've always wanted a yeti like you or you know or you you know you're keying with an orange or whatever you know then that's probably what you're going to end up but even then there's different bikes within their ranges yeah just yeah. so it's just kind of trying to bring the bikes alive really and trying to describe what they'll feel like when you ride them it's kind of doing yeah. it you're kind of doing my ideal review should sound like it should make you feel like you've done a demo ride yes yeah that makes perfect sense i suppose how so for people there's a lot of different things there you've said do you like the bike that feels like this or like this or like this like for somebody like yourself who's ridden loads of bikes you probably know exactly what you want somebody like myself and probably a lot of people reading this haven't ridden hundreds of bikes what's the best way of finding out what you like is it just to go to a demo day and ride loads of bikes or <laughs> pretty much yeah. yeah just drop yourself yeah literally that uh yeah, just, I mean, like I say, take a mate to a demo day as well. So you can yeah. literally, it's again, it's tiring. That's the other thing people don't get. People come out on photo shoots and on testing, and it is, it's a weird one because you never totally, you rarely totally flat out. Yeah. So you know it's a long day, but just going back and around and around and around and around the same thing is quite, and also thinking a lot about the bike is quite mentally tiring as well. Yeah. So being able to jump from one to the other and make that comparison what something you wouldn't normally pick up can feel like night and day yeah it really can it's i've whenever you take someone out and just go here try this they're like wow okay i was not expecting it to feel like that different yeah i mean i've had tests where we've had bikes where we've literally stripped off every component and swapped it down and me and uh you know my wingman are just sitting there just going what the hell is it? It's got the same fork. It's got the, essentially the same tire. It's got almost the same geometry. It's a hard tail, so it's not the, the back end of it. What the hell's going on? And literally, we swapped, we've ended up swapping the handlebars and going, it's the handlebars. <laughs> yeah, it's just that. That why that on that third route in that section suddenly that bike the white went oof, and the Alp kit went boom. You know, right, okay. So like, yeah, okay, right. And so you ring up and, you know, you ring up white and go, 
did you think of putting a slightly wider, slightly softer bar? And they're like, yeah, we just couldn't get one in time. Like, hang on. It's like, it's on, next, it's on next year's model. It's just like, yeah, great. And, you know, and some brands are like that. Some brands are like, yeah, we know. You know, we're designing 40 bikes here. That's, you know, they don't say, God, you're a freaking princess. Trust you. <laughs> but, you know, but they will just go, yes. And others will argue the toss with you forever and go, no, that's exactly the shock setup our, our racers use. Everybody loves it. Nobody, you're the only person who's had a problem with it. And then, and then A, you know damn well it's not the shock setup you, you know, your racers use because you've spoken to the race mechanic who you've known for longer than that guy's been working in math. <laughs> Probably not even longer than that guy's been alive. And then you know, it comes out and the shock tube changed to exactly what you thought it might change to. And they've changed this as well. You're like going, yeah, okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it might be, you know, and I'm sure I'm not the only person, you know, I'm not saying, oh, yes, well, they changed the entire compression tune on that bike because of what I said. But it's like, well, obviously someone else thought that as well, didn't they? Someone else else thought it was a bit saggy there, but it caught there. And if they'd just done this and this. Yeah, yeah, it's all, you know, it. Silly. I mean, most bikes are now are wonderfully competent. Yeah. And then it, and then the curse, the Texas curse, is that as soon as you publish anything, it immediately breaks. <laughs> <coughs> That's always a game. Or suddenly they change. Or suddenly they change the grease on the production run, and the fault that it's been absolute, and suddenly they're a batch of absolute nightmares. And it's just you know that's that's a class. But the thing breaking just after you've just it's gone to press on the magazine that absolute classic yeah. <laughs> that's the nice thing about video because you can just go whoop hang on <laughs> yeah 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 and social media i suppose nowadays means you can update something immediately yeah. doesn't it or the flip side or suddenly you go ah right okay this has happened i've realized you know i've been doing this you know because there are sometimes you have you have complete brain glitch moments like i've done it twice which statistically isn't bad but I've ridden the bike for about an hour without realizing the brakes are wrong way around because it's come from a European because it's come from a European distributor. Yeah, and it's only again it's only when my mates just like jumped on it. You know, he's turned up after half an hour and gone. Have a go on this, Nikolai. The front end feels really weird coming into corners. He's like, you know, and he literally rides it ten minutes and goes, "It's because the brakes are the wrong sodding way around." <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That did come direct from Germany. It's just like, you know, you do have complete brain fart moments sometimes. Or you get to a really long run, you're like going, high speed compression on this. It's really not what I was expecting. Looking at the axle path and the way it should have handled and I normally like this tyre. And then you go, oh, I left the lockout. What's out? I suppose the thing is when you're riding bikes all day, every day, you probably get used to riding them in any condition, don't you? And I mean, like the way the bike's set up. So you, I, I can imagine it's just one of those things, isn't it really, with that? Due diligence, yeah, it's just making sure you have done all that. Due, that axles are tight, that all the bolts are tight. That, but when the dog's shouting at you and it's and it's a day, you know, and it's peeing it down or whatever, you know, it's just a case of right. You just need to get it done. You know? Yeah, you just have to. You have to. It isn't like I say. It's an industrial process. You know, you are the idiot riding around with two different shoes on and the little three in your pocket. You know. <laughs> With a pair of odd gloves on, or you know, and another pair of odd gloves in your odd pocket, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> again, that's the best way to is the, if you ever look at a, a shoe test I've done in the magazines, there'll be one that's be, almost immaculate, and the other would be absolutely ruined. <laughs> and that's because you've literally had two different shoes on. Yeah, because you, well, it's <laughs> the best way to compare them, isn't it? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, one on the left, one on the right. Pedaling, you go. Oh, that one's a bit floppy. Yeah, got you. The big game of kind of rotary, it's a knockout. You go, right, okay, so that O'Neill one's really soggy. Was it soggy in that Shimano one? Well, let's go put the Shimano one on. And he's going yeah. round and around. And, and again, with gloves, it's just a game of it's a knockout, you know. Oh, what was what still hasn't got cold? Right, what has got cold? And then you take them out on a different day, and obviously it's a different set of climatic conditions, and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, got you. You just get all your mates going, right, ride this. Ride that, ride this, ride that. Because that's the hard bit when you're test- testing a very high volume product is actually getting the miles in on them. Yeah. That background information. Uh, and, and that got harder and harder recently. It's because uh, so many changes in standards. Because when yeah. it's 26 inch wheels and 26 inch tyres, you're testing 15 in every group test, but three or four, only three or four new ones probably. Right. Got you. Around for ages. You know, I had a I had a lock up garage full of tires. Because they're only slightly used, there's no point in them. You'll be using them again in another like ten months. Yeah. Um, you know, well, twenty nine came out, then Sphix fifty, and then they all got wide, then they all got extra wide casings, then they all got different casings for gravity. And it's just like, oh holy crap. <laughs> I mean that's why I tandem actually, just to uh, because it was actually uh, Joe and Alex Raff used to do a lot of wheel testing for me because they were the local they were the local head cases at the time. They could blow up wheels really easily, and then suddenly there was a wheel size change, and they got sponsored by Mavic. So they couldn't test anymore. I was like, "How the bloody hell am I going to blow up wheels like those boys can?" I was like, "Right, two people put two people's talk through it, put two people's weight through it." So, you know, <laughs> so that's uh, why you ended up doing the uh, tandem, is it? Just so you could get double the weight on. Uh, part because I really like riding tandems. That was that was the excuse we gave to the tax man for putting it through the uh, business. Anyway, <laughs> didn't you um, didn't you do the hard rock on the tandem? Yeah, yeah, yeah we do the hard rock every year with my daughter. Yeah, Joe, Joe likes that because it stops anyone being able to complain. <laughs> we did the first year, and someone was having a go at him and uh, just saying the course was too dangerous and it was irresponsible, and uh, he just went, "You do realise someone rode that." on a tandem with the nine-year-old daughter and they didn't need that <laughs> so if you think it's too dangerous to ride that's fine but no you can't have your money back yeah. <laughs> it's kind of become a bit of a thing since then and uh, and Freya's amazing on the back of it although again it's quite funny watching her fitness change uh you know she used to be a cross-country runner and we used to cruise up the climbs just handing out haribo to people and crushing them <laughs> love that but now she's on the back and she's She's got a sprinter's musculature, and she's the. She, I mean, I bugger all. Like, if people know hard rock, uh, there's some quite flowing stages off the back of it, like uh, five and six. I think they were this year. He adds Joe adds a stage every year, so I have to check what the numbers are. But they're quite flowing and quite burmy. And literally went to the first car and was like, right, Freya, let. And she's already done it. I was like, right, oh, done that one. I just sat there. I sat and kind of occasionally pulled the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> back but she yeah she's got it dialed now so <laughs> you're just a passenger sometimes yeah i'm just, I'm just spoiled the view for her really that's all i do these days and then she gets really really mardy if i get cramp on the last few times <laughs> she's, 
she threatened to get Sarah to divorce me the pre the previous year because I got cramped on the last time we had to push. She was like, Dad, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe it. <laughs> 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 yeah, between the dog and my daughters, they keep me on my toes. <laughs> you got the motivation right there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, with um with completely different topic now with bike setup, how big of a difference will it make for your average rider listening to this to mess around with the PSI in the fork and the rebound and the rear shock and the tire PSIs and and all those different settings? Like, is it like a massive difference? Should 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 they spend the time tweaking the bike or what what what, what are your views on that? Absolutely, yeah, completely changes it. I could rewrite every bike test. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, if a bike's not set up, that's that's what takes the time, bike testing, is getting each bike to its sweet spot and yeah. also checking that there are some, and getting it to its stink spots as well, just to check. Because, you know, some bikes, okay, some bikes are just really forgiving. They're really hard to set up badly. Whereas others, you know, uh, it's very hard. You've got a very narrow bandwidth where the bike works really well. And it might work incredibly well in that bandwidth but already you're talking to a very specific customer there someone who's going to get on with it because they're going to need to invest a lot of time getting all these kind of different venn diagrams of different tuning adjustments you can make on a fork or something like that there's one little bit where they all overlap it is like chewbacca's just plugged the hyperspace back in and you just like <laughs> you know the whole thing just feels amazing but for the rest of the time it's a nightmare Whereas other folks are just like, yeah, put some air in me and put a wheel in that end and we'll be all good. <laughs> Point me downhill. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, always, always play around with stuff. That's why there's dials on it. Just don't, don't do, do one thing at a time and don't do it too much. You know, so don't let 10 PSI out of your tyres. Yeah. that feel weird. You know, and don't, you know, let a few PSI out of your fork or your shock or do one click at a time but yeah again just and when you get a new bike go out don't make everybody else's first first ride on your bike i mean the temptation is to go out on your brand new bike and go look at me on my brand new bike i'm amazing that will definitely <laughs> end in tears you haven't set it up for yourself just quietly skulk off for an hour and again you can just do it brick ends or curbs and ladders you know don't need to go in session you know antistinia or go wherever yeah. Just set somewhere different size bumps and some corners, and just do things like play around with the bar. You know, get used to the power of the brakes. You get used to where the tire grips, where it doesn't grip. Set the suspension so you're getting just enough travel, but it's not go back or whatever. And just just tweak around. You know, because when you're only going over one brick, you're unlikely to kill yourself if you get it wrong. But you can still dial the rebound in, so it kind of goes smoothly over that brick or that or off that curb or off that little drop. And doesn't pogo you. Whereas if you're trying to do that on a run with your mates while trying to prove to them that we're spending all this money, that's just going to end badly. But, you know, for the amount of people, the amount of time people end up spending on their bike, it's amazing how many people don't tweak their bikes. Yeah, just set it and forget it. Yeah, I mean, some, I mean, I mean, the great thing is most bikes will you get away with that to a degree. Yeah, make your bike a lot better. I just invest in very, I mean, like very few, you, well, you, you know, you see people riding around just going, oof, that tyre pressure and that rebound, and they just don't, it's, it's, they're complicated, I was lucky, I've 
kind of grown up while mountain bikes got complicated. Yeah, was, that's true. So I suppose one step at a time you've been able to adapt. Engine forks came out. So I've seen all the add-ons gradually. I mean, the first, I mean, I had to get good at riding suspension bikes because they were dreadful, the first ones that came. <laughs> I mean, for design, they gave us little suspension, you know, because people just wanted them to feel like a hardtail. But, you know, and it's all been kind of one potato, three potato. It must be bewildering. I mean, the level of adjustment now you get on a bike or a four. Holy cow. You know, I try and, and that, again, that's another thing. It's kind of not taking that uh kind of some assume knowledge for granted really yeah. you know but yeah read up i mean there's i mean that's the nice thing now there is loads of places you can get information from there's loads of good setup videos but just go back you know if you don't don't pretend you know what's going on again that's it's always i think i mean i'm sure you'll get this from your coaching side of things it's better just to go i don't know what this is i'm coming here to learn you know, present. I'm coming to you. He, you know, if people are paying you to coach them, it just seems daft if they're going, oh, no, I don't like doing that. Well, try it. If you still don't like doing it, and after two weeks you haven't made any gains from it, then maybe that doesn't work for you. But, you know, and again, it's the same with rebound setting. So it's like, just try one click less. It might make all the difference. You know, you might suddenly, you might genuinely suddenly love that bike that you're really not getting on with. You know, I've had people come to me with bikes and go, oh, I'm just not getting on with this. And you're just like, right, give us a second. You're like, going, well, you've got 35 PSI in the tyres. You've got no rebound. And the thing is basically base hopper. It's like, all right, okay, let's let the tyre pressure down. And let's put a couple of clicks on. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, well, <laughs> on the other hand, people might not like that. You know, they might be running around with 25 PSI and they'd be better off with 35. So, again, the first, I mean, that's another thing that's really good about doing the YouTube videos. Because the people are like, oh, what bike should I buy? I was like, well, what riding do you do? And also, what are you used to? That's another thing. I mean, he has this fashion for really long, slack bikes. But if people are riding a bike that's like 10 years old, that's just going to feel weird. It's going to I mean the first time you, I can remember the first time I rode really long, slack bikes. It was like chasing a wheelbarrow down the trail. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I was like, I don't know, should say some, you know, you're an unpainted prototype with a designer, you're like going, I think he might have lost it here. <laughs> and then like 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, okay, I get this now. Because suddenly the trail got steeper or it got larrier and you weren't just pedaling along your towpath on it. And you're like, aha, I am having the understandings. So, yeah, but again, try stuff. You know, there's so much you can try, whether it's, you know, with, different ways of doing different exercises or different i mean again if i guess from your point of view you'll see people get stuck in a real rut with fitness and just end up banging their head against the wall whereas maybe if they just made a slight modification to what they were doing they'd suddenly kind of side they they'd get around that plateau and get some real growth with it and it's the yeah. same with components and it's just like just always there's always is a temptation because it's new toys and a lot of people are into mountain bikes for toys there's always a temptation to go no just get a new one it's like well have you bled those brakes have you put fresh pads in them have you just put a loud, larger rotor on you put 20 mil bigger rotor on you increasing braking power by 20 percent so you might be like spending 200 quid on a brake that gives you 11 percent more power when actually your old brake was fine and you just could have put a bigger rotor on okay yeah got you yeah. 
<laughs> as simple as that. Or just get your fork serviced. You know, it's still a good fork. You know, and it fits your bite. You know, don't necessarily blow hundreds of pounds on a new fork when just make you one you've got work well. I think an important point as well is to make sure that you're doing it step by step, isn't it? So yeah. the temptation when you're like, right, I'm going to try and get my suspension nailed is to change the PSI and then change the PSI in your tire and then change the rebound three clicks and then do 10 things at once. And then you head out and ride and you have no idea what's made the difference. So I suppose one important thing is to write down what settings you've got and then just change it bit by bit and try and be patient with it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let it settle in. It's to say, you know, again, uh, you know, just try it, try it, give it long enough for yourself to adapt to it. That's the thing, you know, get used to what you're, how it, get used to those changes. Cause, I mean, you know, without being daft, I, I'll know what those changes mean, but even I have moments. I can remember like the classic one from testing. I can remember the YT Capra when that came out and I got the basic one. And I, I mean, Sarah fancied going for a trail run. So I just was like, um, I'd ridden hard the previous day. So I was like, I'm not, and I was riding that night. But I literally just went up there in my work trousers and like a t-shirt. And, but I thought, I'll just get a basic setup because now I'm riding this bike tonight. I'll just see how it goes. Yeah. And just pedaled up to the top of the hill and stain burner and went, I hadn't even checked shock pressure. I hadn't checked sag or anything like that. I just went, this feels amazing. Right. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna do a proper running on the red run, and see how it goes. Because it just a bit, you know, it just fitted me like a glove straight away, and the suspension just felt great. And it was just like, mm, okay. And it was only the like the middle range one with like standard rock shocks and stuff like that. So straight into the red, PR. You know, a, a run I've done hundreds of times. I'm literally yeah. there. Me in my car in my knackered parts and whatever shoes i took whatever shoes i turned up in a helmet and a t-shirt having just pr'd it you know flat <laughs> right wow five minutes after getting on the bike i was just like wow and it was <laughs> you know but you know it, one of the all-time classic bikes superb and about six months later i got the more expensive one like mavic wheels uh boss suspension front runners i was like ha, ha, ha. oh <laughs> let's see how much i can beat that pr bike 45 minutes later, I was still trying to get up that climb to the top of the car park, which is about a five-minute climb, you know, from the car park to the top for the five-minute climb. I was still fettling with the shock and forks. I just got lost. I just, I'd, I'd done that many tweaks and changes to try and get it to feel right, because I was so convinced it was going to feel amazing. <laughs> you know, a boss suspension at the time was just really, really, it was one of those things, like, going back to that, but where some, there's a really, really narrow sweet spot. Boss pretty much epitomised that for a long, long time. And I just couldn't find it. And I kept going past it in different directions. And in the end, I was just like, I don't even know what I need to just anymore. <laughs> like when you, it's like when you, if anyone's ever had small kids and they've been, ring, they've been singing like bedtime stories or they're doing the grand old Duke of York, you've been doing it for about 40 minutes and you suddenly go, I've no idea what the grand old Duke does. Do you, grand old Duke York does anymore. <laughs> I just don't know. Your brain just goes flat lines and just goes. Ooh. And I remember just sitting by this YT, just being so upset. <laughs> just like, it's supposed to be brilliant. And it's broken me because the one with the pike and the rock shocks, they've been a Dillup, uh, a Monarch at the time, were just sorted. 
and it was fine. You know, it had a broader bandwidth of tuning, and so you just got on and rode it, and it went really bloody quick. Whereas that one was much more complex and theoretically faster. But actually, I don't think I never went faster on it because I never, you know, I never got it right, basically. Yeah. Or I never, I was never using it fast. You know, I was never a hard enough rider to really appreciate, you know, or whatever. Maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was just Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah. Maybe it was never faster. Maybe that Rockshox one was always the faster bike. But so that, yeah, that, tangent. That ties into a question I did want to ask you. How big a difference do you feel there is then from, say, a three grand bike, which will get you like a decent bike, like a good bike for that, um, versus a seven grand super bike, if you like? Like, how big a difference is there for most people? Uh, you're far more likely to be happier on a three grand bike. There's the controversial statement. There. <laughs> Why am I saying that? Uh, because it will. It, far less likely to have something weird going on with it okay the more anything is it's it's like i mean the one thing so i keep kind of feeling obliged to refer this back to fitness no um, no no fine just carry on it's good but the one thing i always people is you know when they're training is the more you sharpen the pencil the more likely it is to snap yeah and so that's me email uh, but the more, yeah, the more you sharpen the pencil, the more likely it's to snap. And it's the same with components. The more you try and chase that little few percent, the more likely you are to fall off either side of it. So again, you are going to get boss forks, or you're going to get you know rather than just a box standard rock shocks and something like that. And also, you know, like aluminium bikes, are generally quite a given thing. You know, they're quite a alloy is quite a uh, stat from an engineering point of view it's quite predictable whereas carbon you have no idea what's going on underneath that yeah carbons that feel incredibly dull you can have carbon bikes that feel wonderful you know you can have carbon bikes that feel like fine china you can have carbon bikes that feel like wood you can have carbon bikes that feel fluffy you can have ones that twang all over the place but aluminium generally it's an alloy bike. Same with steel as well. You know, some you know you can do all sorts of things with steel. Some wonderful, some terrifying. But as, as soon as you get to more exotic things, as soon as you start spreading out, you're almost automatically going to get to a more specific bike. So yeah, it can. Yeah, I mean, yes, you can improve most bikes by throwing a lot more money on them. But I'd argue even things like, oh yeah, put carbon wheels on a bike because they're lighter. Are they really? I was just about to ask you about that. So what's your opinion on carbon wheels versus aluminium? I think you were just about to go into it. But. Yeah, uh, I mean, putting that as an example, I, for the vast majority of people, I'd alloy wheels. I'd do good alloy wheels. Really would. I mean, I can see why people like carbon, and it's, it's vastly changed ever since Santa Cruz bought out reserves because they put a lifetime warranty on them. And yeah. Now, I just did a, I did a wheel test recently for MBUK, one of my last things I did for them. And suddenly the obligation for all of the manufacturers was to uh, go, right, we need a lifetime guarantee. Or we're yeah. like, you know, fish out of water here. But actually, I think most people blindfold would be very, very, I mean, I'm pretty princessy in it. And the guys I test with, like Mickey, who works on MBR, pretty, pretty princessy about stuff. Yeah. And, You'd be very hard pressed to tell 
a most mid-range carbon wheels from a 300 quid set of hunts or a 300 quid set of the new dts right uh and and in the way even similar i mean those are all i mean those examples there like most of the mid-priced carbon wheels are about 1800 grams so we're all mid-priced alloy wheels and you're literally talking a thousand pounds difference there yeah 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 so you don't think the difference is night and day then between riding a good set of alley wheels and a decent set of carbon wheels for most people unless you're really really like aware of what the bike's doing but it depends on the usage. If you're a cross-country racer, God, yeah, get a set of DT Swiss XRT 1200s and it'll give you an extra gear. Yeah. You know, simple as that. In the same way, but then you have to run light tyres on them to get another extra gear. And they will feel amazing. But if you're just riding trail, maybe not so much. So, again, there are specific instances where, you know, someone will really benefit because they're using them for a specific purpose there they'll notice that loss of weight so if they buy light wheels and a sid fork they'll end up with a significantly lighter or a actually fox 32 sc the step cast is this sort of the lightest current fork yeah if you put them on you're suddenly looking at a bike that's like a kilo lighter and if you're hammering up hills you go yeah i mean you can feel the difference between a 10 kilo bike and a 12 kilo bike that is nine day yeah yeah cross-country racing i'd say yes there is a, you know, there is a bike, you know, there is a big advantage in lightning stuff. Up. But again, you know, there's tricks and you could probably find a very light set of alloy wheels, you know, and, you know, or you could save the weight as well. Weigh your seat post and your saddle. You might suddenly find there's a huge amount of weight hiding in that. Or, you know, don't fit, don't fit Eagle because, you know, the cassettes are just big, you know, stay with an old 10 speed. Yeah. 10, 10 speed 1136 because if you're racing xc you can probably propel the thing so yeah, just you, you don't know, need them bottom gears half a pound there easily <coughs> but then on trail stuff you know this the bike i'm not you know voldemort the bike i'm not allowed to quite talk about <laughs> uh that's significantly cheaper than most boot frames the entire bike and yet it goes you know but because it's the right shape and it's got a decent kit on it it'll run rings around them i would say yeah. a lot of you know you'll be having a right old laugh riding this flat out when you're still going oh hang on another i'll just get me dhx air you know me dhx x2 tool out i mean that's a giveaway isn't it if a, if a shock needs its own specific tool it's not the most user-friendly shock in the world <laughs> i remember getting into a fight with paul turner from maverick way back when we needed forks and he was like and i was like mm it's a bit needy. It needs a lot doing on it. He's like, yeah, but there are loads of online forums telling you how to service your Maverick fork. I was like going, well, that kind of proves my point really, Paul. <laughs> you know, how many are there for Mazoki? None. <laughs> you know, what happens if your Mazoki ever feels bad? I just open it up, get out of it because you've probably been running it for three years and put all oil in. How much? Some. <laughs> you know, whereas, like, <laughs> you know, geeks were going crazy just trying to keep their mavericks alive you know and again yeah so and then the other you know there's another the other classic kind of deflect is uh with alloy and carbon frames there aren't many bikes where there's a massive difference in ride feel yeah weight overall but i remember going back after a test where i was testing a load of kind of 
how high was it? Were they three? No, there'd have been four grand carbon bikes and three grand alloy bikes. And three, yeah. yeah, three grand carbon bikes. And they were all great. They were all really, really good bikes. You know, I had, you know, the OE Classic, like Specialized Trek, uh, White, blah, blah, blah. All really good. And I was like, these all really deserve great scores. These are great. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, hang on. I did not do three grand bikes from all these brands like four months ago. So the same model year. I was like, didn't they all have better kit on them? And hang on a minute. And then you look at it and go, because they have better kit on it, they actually weigh the same for these bikes. And a thousand pounds cheaper. That, that's, oh, hang on. <laughs> you know, brakes suddenly go on. You're like, ooh, hang on, right. Let's backstep a bit here. It's like, do the right? Do they ride massively differently? Not really. So if you're only going to spend three grand on a bike, get the bloody alloy bike. Yeah, with the better spend, spec. Get the alloy bike with the better spec, but just the same weight. You know, and then go and take it abroad, or get a coaching plan, or yeah. buy a set of tires for it, or oh, take your missus out to dinner because she's let you buy this bike. Or oh, <laughs> sexy! That was very, very sexy on International Women's Day. Take your bloke out to dinner because he's let you buy this bike. <laughs> oh, terrible. Uh, but, you know, there's always look at what you're doing. You know, weigh your components before you change them. They might not be as heavy as you think, you know. And the, there's other classics. There's other classic little tricks like uh, cheap stems are nearly always better than expensive ones. Why? Because people think that expensive stems need to be machined out of blocks of billet and then they machine a bit too much out of them so they end up flexy or they creak or whatever. Whereas if you just left it alone as a cold forged lump, which is what the cheap boys do, then you haven't machined any of the bits away that will make it creak. And actually, if it's cold forged, all the grain's still in alignment. Like you'll, you won't, like a 20, 30 quid, like Truvative stem or something like that, the ones that just look like a lump of coal with some bolts in the front, they are immovable. And they're about 20 grams heavier than something really, really fancy and anodized that might crack, creak, snap, or just not even hold the steerer properly. Yeah. You know, that's a class, I, mean, uh, I mean, the classic, I mean, I always use a Holzerfeller or a Husselfeld, if you can still find primitive stem on the front of the tandem, because that thing sees a lot of leverage. And they just never shift, because they're just bomb-proof. And again, but then, you know, things like carbon bars can make a real difference to feel, or grips, or... But again, there's just, you know, there's loads of different aspects and elements. You know what I think? Sorry, carry on. No, no, no. I'm kind of just rattling here. I'm sat here in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just about to say, I think the one main thing that's come through, or two main things that have come through from this whole podcast, is that it's got to be specific to you. And there's no right answer. So there's no, this bike is better than that bike or this component's better than this one. It is all just, it depends. And I think for most people listening, they need to go and try different bikes, try different setups and just see see what works for you because there is no silver bullet from the sound of it and coming from someone who's ridden thousands of bikes. I mean, there are, yeah. I mean, some things are quite easy. It's like that one has better gears than that one and it costs the same winning. Yeah. I like going up hills. That one is lighter. Winning. I like going down hills, but not really caring about it. It's longer and slacker. Probably winning. You know, there are broad span things in there. But yeah, 
And once you get down to the nitty gritty, just go and try stuff. You know, always try stuff. Oh, well, like I say, try stuff, push, you know, tweak. And it is all about kind of knowing what you want to achieve from a bike. You might not want the fastest bike. You might just want a bike that feels fast or, or that you just enjoy riding. Yeah. So that you, that will be very different. And so all the tyres you put on, you know, which is what testing very hard because there's always a pressure to go, is it a four or a five? Editors love that. They hate it when you just go, well, if you're this sort of rider, it's a three. Yeah. <laughs> this sort of rider, it's a four. And, but then hopefully, that's why you hope that people read the words. But I think a lot of the time, I mean, there's some by, I mean, I guess there's an element of coercion where you go, you should really try this. You know, it's got a short stem, it's slack, it's got wide bars, and it's very long. And I think you'll really like it. And I think this is where the bike should go. Yes, there's always, you know, there's always a drive, but I'm not going to say that to Nino Schmetter. Yeah, of course, yeah. But then, yeah. interesting, Nino's riding one of the slackest, you know, the Scott has always been a very progressive bike. You know, that's always been, that's always been a direct match between the Scott's Park and the Santa Cruz, uh, well, it was the Solo, now the 5010, which people just never really got. But it's like one's an aggro, one's an animal trail bike, and the other's an X bike with exactly the same angles. Yeah, it's weird, you know. That's just a case of perception, but and you know, you could argue that if you, you know, if it climbs all right, then why wouldn't you have something that's more controlled on the descent? And that's why it's heading with XC again. Just try stuff. I'm waffling on I'm at it, unfortunately. No, it's been really yeah. good. It's been fascinating. It's been great. That's why I've not really interrupted it that much. It's been great. Just sat no. sat back and just listening. <laughs> there's so many <laughs> there's so many lessons and so many insights that come through. I think it's fascinating for me and everybody listening. Um, just how many how many I think how many lessons come through really. Um, I think it'd be wicked to get you on the podcast again sometime to to carry on uh, to carry on waffling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd absolutely love to, but yeah, I've I've got to go out and get ready. I've been taken out. Oh, nice one. That's yeah, what, well, yeah, I, we, we, I'd really be to chat to you about the fitness side of things as well. We'll do part two, and in part two, we'll talk about fitness. I think that's a great idea. To um, to round off the podcast then, um, what's one piece of advice or one pearl of wisdom that you would like to leave everybody listening to the podcast with? So your final kind of rounded off thoughts, and then after that, obviously, you can tell everybody where to go find you as well. Uh, what's that? I um, set up, or, sorry, in terms of bike setup, or in terms of uh... in absolutely anything. So, for everybody listening to this, what's one thing that you would like to to really tell them that will just help them become a better rider or a better person or whatever's on your mind? Really, it can be really general or really specific. Focus on the solution, not the problem. Whether that's looking at the gap, not the log, or work out what you're trying to achieve before you do it you know don't work out why your suspension doesn't feel right work out you know what you don't like about your bike trying to achieve a new one because until you know why you don't like your current bike you won't know how to get a better one the next time round. and until you start looking at gaps you won't go between the trees so i guess that's it yeah always look at the solution not the problem that's great that's going to be the title of this podcast i like that <laughs> <laughs> so finally then obviously i'll let you go after that what where's the best place for people to come and follow you to have a look at the uh, cycle expo in yorkshire where do you want to send people uh i yeah have a look at cycle expo uh dot co uk 
Uh, that's for the bike show, which is in September, first weekend of the world. And then on YouTube and Instagram, it's Guy Kez TV. It's, uh, yeah. And they won't give it, I think Guy Kester and the Testerman was a what man like video joke for a while, but it was a bit long. So we just went with the uh, Guy Kez TV. TV. Yeah. I like it. That's perfect. G-U-I-K-S-T-V. And Perfect. I'll just out. You'll probably find the one of me crashing on Snowden. I think that's my most watched YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Typical, the most embarrassing one. Thanks so much, mate. For everybody listening, all those links will be linked up in the show notes as well, so you don't need to go search it or anything. They'll be there for you to click. Uh, but, guys, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, mate. No worries. Thanks a lot, Matt. Good to Thank you, pal. Good weekend. Hey, and welcome back. I hope you really, really enjoyed the episode. I know I absolutely love speaking to Guy, and we're going to get him on the podcast for another episode in future, because um, as you can tell from the podcast, we could literally just have sat there for hours and hours and hours and chatted. Um, so I hope you really enjoyed it. I'll be back again next week for another episode, and do please remember to like and subscribe, and if you want to look into anything related to MTB Fitness, like the nutrition guide, the training programs, then please do just go to MTB dot fitness that's www.mtb.fitness and to check out guy's stuff just follow the links in the description and i'll post all the information there other than that thanks so much and i will see you soon for another episode of the mtb fitness podcast